Greetings, everyone. This is Eric Stewart from the Bad Rhino Local Podcast, and today I'm joined with John Sirock. How you doing, John? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. John is the owner and CEO of John Sirock Catering, and I was taking a look at their Instagram page and their Facebook page, and they make terrific cuisine and food and i honestly was on there and i was just getting hungry myself being at about lunchtime now but john if you could just fill us in a little bit about um what you guys do over there at john Sirot catering and uh who are the people that you kind of serve sure we are a full service off-premise caterer um i like to joke with people we're basically gypsies you know we we, we show up we show up at a space and completely transform it in a matter of hours and set up, you know, a restaurant quality uh, experience for wedding clients. And at the end of the night, we're gone and there's no trace that we were even there. And uh, we really excel at that, at just providing really a high, high level of uh, food and service in usually not the most ideal uh, locations and circumstances, you know, I've been in business 22 years. We're at the point now where we've got a little, I guess I could say, I, I finally have got a little pickier. Um, 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 I don't want to say I'm picking and choosing what we're doing, but we're not, uh, you know, 15 years ago, if you're like, Hey, I want to stick you in the middle of the woods and do this wedding and there's no running water or electricity and you got to hike five miles up a mountain to do it. I'd be like, sure. We love the challenge. Now we're getting a little bit smarter and we're, we're trying to kind of pick and choose the locations we're working at, uh, become a little bit of prima donnas, I guess you could say, but, uh, you know, we, we've built a great reputation and we want to make sure we can uphold that. The cool thing I was checking out your website was the different venues that you guys had in all those beautiful, the exclusive ones, and then the other ones that are preferred venues. And I was just taking a look at them, but if you want to talk about who you serve and then go onto the venues, I'm totally cool with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we are. 90% of our business is weddings. Um, and, you know, we kind of found this niche where we realized like we, we have to be the experts. We are the experts, but we need to be the experts because most, most of the couples we're working with, this is their, their first and only time that they're getting married. Um, so we, it's, it's up to us to really kind of guide them from, uh, you know, menu and decor and, and even giving tips on etiquette. And, you know, also I, I always used to joke, but it sure is like, you know, we, we can be that referee sometimes where, you know, mom's got one idea and the other mom's got another idea and the couple has an idea and, and it's up to us to kind of bridge that gap and find that happy medium. Uh, and usually we can do it pretty easily of, you know, getting everybody, finding what everybody's concerns, all the stakeholders in the event, what their concerns are and how can we, uh, bridge that gap and, and make everybody happy and, and address, you know, maybe the, maybe the couple's really worried that the bar is going to have a line and maybe the parents are worried that it could be too hot. And, you know, their guests are going to be sitting in the sun waiting for the ceremony. Maybe the other, the other parents are worried that their guests won't know that dessert's out because it's in a different room. And when their, you know, daughter got married, they, everybody, you know, commented after that the cake was beautiful, but they never tried it because it was in another room and nobody told them. So for us, it's really just kind of listening is the biggest thing, which it makes it kind of hard for me to talk about our business because I'm so used to having to, you know, we have to be good listeners and hear what do our clients want. Um, and then as far as locations, like you, you start to touch on, I mean, I tell people all day, I'm the luckiest person in the world. We, we've got, we, we've had 
access and exposure to some of the most amazing properties in our area, from private estates to historic mansions to uh, you know equine facilities uh, to just even just some really you know beautiful properties where clients uh, have, have put tents up and, and hosted events. So we we really kind of get a behind the scenes like look at you know some of these properties that people drive by their whole life and wonder what's it like in there? What's it look like behind there? And, and for us, it's like, it's just like another day at the office and uh, you kind of get spoiled with that. Absolutely. Some, some great scenery that I was looking at on your venue list for sure. And John, I also checked out your background too on how you started when you were 12 years old, working with your grandmother in the different kitchens that she worked at. And then even as a teenager working down the beach in different restaurants and something that I can kind of relate to with a lot of my buddies kind of doing the same thing. How did you get from kind of that point of working in the restaurant industry and going to college for a restaurant to where you're at now running your own company? You know, it's, People always say like, oh, is it in your blood? Was it in your family? I mean, as you said, like the story is my grandmother, my 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 cousin, my mom's cousin, my grandmother's nephew, he owned a, a sports bar and after hours club in Delaware County. And my grandmother worked there, you know, just cooking, you know, lunches at the bar. It was a, in Clifton Heights, working class neighborhood. And you know, she'd cook lunches. And then the after hours club didn't even open until, I think it was like open like midnight to like 3 a.m., and people, they they kind of fell into the banquet and catering business with people reaching out like, hey, can I rent the room? Can I rent the after hours club and, and throw a benefit or throw my wife a birthday party or we're having a second wedding or, you know, just little events. And my grandmother started cooking that way. So she went from making, you know, a, a cheeseburger and, and fries for, you know, for somebody to, uh, hey, we need to do uh, roast beef sandwiches and potato salad for 150 people on Saturday night. And from a young age, she was doing that. My mom would work as a waitress. My aunts were working as waitresses. My older cousins all were starting there as bus boys and cleaning up. And, and it, and it was, it was called the bungalow Inn. it was, it was famous in Delaware County. Everybody knew the bungalow Inn. And as a kid from like the age of six, that was like, you know, you'd go there at like Christmas every year, they'd bring us in, they'd have Santa come and you know, put the lights and like the dance floor and all the kids, you know, we'd get to take turns bartending, you know, pouring sodas for the other kids and everybody. That was like the dream in the family. It was like, you couldn't wait till you were old enough to work at the bungalow. And uh, I always joke, I was out with a couple of my cousins a few months ago who were a little bit older. I said, you know, I, I got my big break in this business because one of you went to a prom and, you know, I got, it was 12 years old and like, yeah, he looks old enough. He can come work this weekend. And and that was it. You know, I worked, I got a little couple bucks in my pocket and I was hooked. I mean, I, I'd mowed lawns in the neighborhood and did other odd jobs at, even at the beach. I'd worked with a crabber one summer, just sorting crabs. And, but the cooking was just, once I got in, you know, I, I still remember it was like the first thing my grandmother trusted me with was like, we'll let you cut the rolls. It was like, that was the big thing. Like you can use the knife. And then it was like, you know, hey, you're 14, great, jump on the slicer. We need you to cut up some, you know, now, I mean, I'd be put out of business in a minute if I put my kid on the slicer. I got a 13-year-old, so uh, we started bringing my son in a little bit. We're starting to introduce him to the business. He's 13, and I said, it's time. That, uh, but not, you know, just, just a little bit here and there, let him get a feeling for what it's like to, you know, see what dad does every day and 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 see, you know, takes their money. It's not, it looks glamorous, but it is. There's work behind it. Um, but I got into that and I really just fell in love. Like 
once I stepped foot in the kitchen and then I, when I was 15, I started at the Jersey Shore at a pizza place, Andre's. I walked in, lied, told them I was 16, told them I had a ton of experience cooking. And like the second day, the guy came to me and he said, you never did this before. And I said, no, but I really want to learn. And I still stop in and see him a couple times a summer. I mean, that was, you know, I worked there off and on through high school, college, even when I was in culinary school, I had worked, I would spend my summers at Jersey Shore. I worked at casinos and some of the fine dining restaurants, but I always kept a shift or two at the, at the uh, pizza place where I started just kind of the nostalgia of it. I loved. Um, and then I went to Johnson and Wales university in Rhode Island. And I spent four years there, received an associate's degree in culinary arts, a bachelor's degree in food service management. I was a teaching assistant uh, for a year, teaching other students, which was kind of a crazy thing because at one point, Johnson & Wales was training a lot of the cooks for the Navy. Uh, we had a campus in Norfolk, Virginia, and they would send them up. So, you know, here I am like a 19-year-old kid, and I'm teaching 30-year-old career military guys, you know, how to cook and uh, for mass, mass volumes. And, you know, some of them had already had experiences that I never would see and, and still have never seen in my life. So uh, it, it was pretty humbling, um, you know, because they also gave me the confidence that, you know, years later when I did open my own business, I know I, I can directly correlate it to the time I spent as a teaching assistant. Absolutely. It sounds like a great experience to getting in there and kind of working with different people, even if they're a little bit older than you, just kind of sharing your wealth of knowledge and kind of push them off to kind of do their own thing in the military. Um, the cool thing that you hit on there, which is might sound weird, but I've had this conversation with a couple of buddies and even around the office at Bad Rhino is how how important bread is to a sandwich. And I don't think it's talked about enough. I really don't because a great like piece of bread it makes or breaks a sandwich. It's it's like you get a good cheesesteak, you can have the best quality meat and everything, but if you have a crappy piece of bread, it kind of ruins the entire sandwich. So I just just as pure fun, I just want to get your kind of thoughts on that. One hundred percent. You know, it's it's funny because yeah, I went to like I said, I went to school and I in St. Johnson Wales I was in Providence for four years, and. I, I still remember there was this little like Portuguese grocery store around the corner from campus. And I would go in when I was a freshman, we'd go in and all the guys, I, we, we had a really great, really cool dynamic uh, as, as I moved through college. My, my freshman year, we lived in the dorms and then just kind of found this like group of guys that we all just kind of clicked. We all had the same kind of personalities and, and we ended up living together our sophomore year. And when we lived together, we had three, uh, four guys. It was three different floors, and we were all mixed up. We had four guys from Philly, four guys from New York, the New York, uh, Connecticut area, four guys from Boston. Nobody could understand a word anybody else said because of the accents were all so thick. Um, but we would get these, like, battle. Like, freshman year, we'd go to this little Portuguese grocery store to get, you know, we're like, you know, the guys say, who wants to go get a sub? And we're like, no, it's a hoagie. You know, we'd have these arguments on the way there about, you know, what the proper word was, you know, the, the other guys were calling it grinders from, from up North. And at the end of the day, the reality was like, they thought these things were great. I'm like, this bread is horrible. And it was like this thick Portuguese bread. I mean, the meats and the things the guys put it, the guy put inside were, were amazing, really used high quality. And I mean, this was like this little corner, nothing. Um, 
but the bread, it just never was the same. So every time I would come home and I'd come back to school, my mom would give me stuff that I could heat up in the microwave. And I would always, I would be bringing loaves of bread back. And they would all, like, everybody be waiting when I came back. Like, what would your mom send back this week? What do you got, scalpine? What kind of rolls? Like, if I took the bus back or the train back, is always bring it back. You know, at that time, Amorosa, which, you know, I, I hate to call them out, but it's probably like the last option I would take now with so many great bakeries around here. But uh, it does. You know, the, the bread's got to hold up. And uh, there's a famous restaurateur, Danny Meyer, who started Shake Shack. And, and if you read like some of his books and you, you watch interviews with him, the one thing he says is that when he talked about the burgers, the, the key for Shake Shack, Shake Shack's success is that the roll can't overpower the burger, but it has to be able to hold up to the burger. And it was like finding that balance. And I feel that's the same way when you, you get like a good Italian hoagie or a cheesesteak. Like you want the, you don't want the like a cheesesteak, the meat shooting out the side. Uh, but you don't want to be too doughy. You want you want to just have that perfect harmony, which, you know, like a pizza. That's why pizza is my favorite, you know, because you've got that perfect, a good pizza place, that perfect proportion of dough to sauce to cheese. Same with a great cheesesteak. The meat, the cheese, the bread, it has to all harmonize together. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've had really good loaves of breads around uh, Delco area in the Philadelphia area, even sometimes up in New York. But all right, let's, let's bring it back to uh, your company as a whole. And, you know, one thing that I always ask whenever I sit down at a new restaurant or I order from a new catering service is, all right, what's the, what's the best thing on the menu? So, John, I hate to put you on the spot, but what would you say is kind of your bread and butter? What's like the best thing that people normally go to? Short rib, short rib, short rib, short rib. And our crab cakes, but short rib is just very rarely does somebody try our short rib and say, nah, we're going to go with this instead. Um, you know, we, we started selling short rib, I want to say like, it's like 2011, right? Or, you know, I guess it's, I can't believe it's been that long now that I say that out loud, but you know, with, with the economic downturn back in like, you know, 08 through 2010, um, what we were finding was catering is always the first thing to go. When, when the economy's bad, it's always the first thing to come back. That's usually what they use is like that indicator that you know, like it used to be, let's put it this way. That used to be the indicator. Like corporate catering was the first to cut when times were bad and corporate catering would be the first to come back. Like, hey, we're, we're starting to kind of come back in. Oh, we can spend some money. Um, so, you know, 2011-ish, we started getting a lot of calls where people wanted you know, they didn't have filet, they didn't have tenderloin budgets. You know, they wanted to serve a beef, but they needed to find something that they could offer and not break the bank. So we started looking to these, you know, all not quite off cup cuts because at this point they're all like considered prime, but like, you know, short rib wasn't a, a popular seller. Um, and we started doing short rib and just like instantly, I, I was like, this is like the greatest product i've ever worked with because it's like a blank slate like we we do so many different variations of it i mean our top selling wedding entree is short rib we do a braised beef short rib we you know, sear it add veggies make a uh, red wine with it we reduce it we serve it over cauliflower mash but then we were like okay well you know we've got all these scraps we're cleaning it up every week we're making these pretty portions for a wedding we got like you know 50 pounds of scraps what am i doing with this uh, you know what? Let's do like a short rib taco with this. Let's take the scraps and 
you know what? We can add hoisin sauce and give it an Asian flair. We'll serve it in a Jap in a uh, in a Chinese steam bun. And now we've got a cool new appetizer, and we're using the short rib. And it's like, well, what do we got more now? What to do? Oh, let's add it with pasta and like cream sauce and roasted mushrooms, and do like a a cavatappi with a, a short rib mushroom cream sauce, or you know, there's, oh, there's still scraps left. What do we do now? All right, staff meal. Let's make let's make you know cheese steaks or you know French dip sandwiches. So. I mean, we sell upwards of, you know, 400 to 600 pounds a week of short rib. We sell a lot of short rib. Uh, and I never get sick of it. And it comes out perfect every time. And it's one of those items that like we, you know, our wedding clients get a complimentary tasting as part of the process. And sometimes they'll come in and they'll say, well, you know, can we try the short rib and the filet? Because my dad... Some people just hear rib and they're thinking, oh, like we're going to come out like, you know, Kansas City style ribs. And it's, 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 I think it's gotten to the point now, like in the last three or four years, that every restaurant in North America has a short rib on it, whether it's Italian, seafood, jar. I mean, every restaurant I've been in seems to have a short rib now. Um, so people are a little more familiar with it. But I find that, you know, they come in and dad's like, no, you know, if I'm spending X amount of money on my only daughter's wedding, uh, I'm not serving, a, you know, pot roast. I want, I want a filet and we bring out the short rib and we bring out the filet and we let dad try it. And like 99% of the time they end up going with the short rib. It's very rare. I, I mean, we sell a ton of filet, but it's very rare that once they've tried the short rib, they'll change their mind. Or if they were always stuck on it and say, nope, I have to serve, you know, we have to serve a filet, but we want to do the short rib tacos. They're still finding a way to work that into the meal. Business owners and marketing professionals in the Philly area, Bad Rhino takes the overwhelm out of digital marketing. With tailored digital marketing services, from social media management to SEO and PPC advertising, our expert team navigates the complexities of the digital ad space for your business. Let Bad Rhino lead you to success. Visit BadRhinoInc.com and let's take your business to new heights. Bad Rhino, we do digital marketing so you don't have to. You kind of hit it on my next question a little bit with the, kind of your team meals. And one thing when I was looking at your website, I saw a great team over there, um, a lot of different people kind of involved. And one thing that you mentioned in the notes too is employee retention. And it's probably one of those things nowadays was it's hard for companies to kind of retain employees and kind of keep them around for a long time. So how do you kind of go about um, just keeping employees around, keeping employees invested in your company um, in this economic state? You know, we we made this commitment pre, pre-2020, pre-COVID. We, we kind of made this commitment of, hey, the workforce is changing. Like, you know, you're hearing it on the news, you're reading stories, you're talking to other people in, in other businesses, not just in hospitality, but especially hospitality. Um, you know, the, the newer, the younger generations, they're like in the hospitality business. And we still talk about this all the time. It was like a badge of honor if you're in a hospitality business. And like, if you work less than 60 hours a week, it was like, you didn't work. Like, did you even really work if you worked less than 60 hours? And if you didn't burn yourself, and if you didn't get cut, and if you didn't have a chef, you know, berate you constantly and sexually harass you and curse at you and put a cigarette out on your neck and all these horror stories you would hear about this business. It was always kind of like this badge of honor. Like you earned your time in here. Um, which, which really made for like a really horrible reputation in hospitality also made for a very hard way to hold on to people. And 
I had made this decision years ago that I, I wanted to be this, that, you know, I always said the anti-hospitality, hospitality company, you know, hospitable to our clients and hospitable to our, our employees. I mean, take care of the people that take care of our customers. You know, it becomes just like cliche. You hear people always talk about, um, you know, take care of your people. They'll take care of your customers, but it's true. It, it really is like, my job's gotten so much easier because I have amazing people that work with me every day. And I, I and I always really say, like, nobody works for me. They work with me. We all work together. It's not like I sit up at this big, you know, desk and, and oversee everything. I mean, I'm right in there in the trenches, not as much as I used to be, but I, I, I feel that, you know, being there side by side, it, hey, I see what you're doing. And I know this isn't a, the easiest job in the world, but I'm doing it with you. The thing we also learned was that like money isn't always the most important thing. And was, you know, a lot of people were like, you know, yeah, that's great. I want to make a good living, but I really, what I'd rather is be able to like spend time and have experiences with my friends and my family and like the people I work with, like I'd rather make 40,000 a year and feel comfortable with the guy next to me than make 60,000 me wondering, is this guy going to stab me or is, you know, am I going to be subject to harassment? Or, um, you know, am I going to have to work every weekend and not even be able to spend the money? So we, we started looking at that and trying to find ways of like, let's make this a fun place because it is a fun place, but let's start touting it. Like, let's toot our horn a little bit. Let's, you know, our job description doesn't necessarily just have to be, oh, you must know how to cook. It's like, you must know how to come in and be a team player and have a great time and do what you're doing because we're throwing a party every day. Like, like you're coming to a job and you're getting paid to throw a party and have an amazing time with people and celebrate with people. And, and that's why I never got into why I, I when I kind of made that path years ago of do I stay with restaurants or catering? I always kind of knew I wanted to go catering, but I saw like restaurants were changing in like the late 90s when I in early 2000s. Like, you know, when I was a kid, restaurants were a special occasion. You went out maybe once a month every six weeks, you know, it was a, Hey, it's somebody's birthday. We're getting dressed up and we're going to special occasion place. And then, you know, late nineties, both parents start working. Everybody's in the workforce. It's now just fulfilling a basic need. It's not a celebration anymore. It's now a full schedule. Nobody got home till five. All right, let's just run out and get something to eat. And you'd go out to get something to eat. You know, you, we, we I could see it as we go to the table. You could see as the people came in, like, yeah, they were fighting in the car ride here. The kids were driving the parents nuts. There was an argument. You could just see the waitress come over. Hey, can I get you something to drink? Not right now. We need a minute. And you could just tell. And it was like, this isn't what I signed up for. Like, I signed up for this experience that people remember and enjoy. And same with, like, the wait staff. Like, restaurants became the way to get that quick, easy cash. And I, I used to always joke with people, never go out to dinner the last Sunday of the month because everybody, you know, in the old days, it's probably gotten a little bit better now, but it used to be like that last Sunday was everybody that was like, I got to make rent on Tuesday and I need to make X. And they're working doubles all weekend long to make their rent. And by Sunday night, they are miserable because they're exhausted. They still may not have enough money for their rent. Now they got to, you know, call, borrow money, or do whatever. And it's not that experience. Um, with us, like it's a party. You're coming in. We're going to give you, somebody's going to actually walk up to you and hand you a scalp and bacon and a drink on a tray. And then you're going to sit down and we're going to serve you a meal. And then we're going to give you dessert and wedding cake and music and flowers. It's like, what more could you ask for? It's just a great, great experience. And we, we have to make sure we convey that to the people. Like there's no bad days here and there's no do-overs. Like 
couples getting married are doing it one time. It's got to be perfect. You know, we found the formula. You just got to follow the steps. And and when you come in, you know, we're going to feed you. I can't have staff leaving in the middle of the shift to go out and eat. You know, can't be like, oh, yeah, clock out, go to McDonald's. But I also don't want somebody bringing up a, a food and saying, hey, would you like a scalp and bacon? Are they any good? Oh, I don't know. We're not allowed to taste anything. Like, what? No. Like, our staff's got to know what they're serving. Like, yeah, oh, God, yeah, they're great. But I'll tell you what, I'm not a big CB fan, but that blonde over here is coming over with the with the chicken skewers, and they're my favorite. Make sure you get one of them. Now, all of a sudden, you've, you've built this narrative with your staff, just this comfort level, because they're not just like, they're not robots. They're people. And that, as good as our food is, that that first touch that the guests are getting is what people remember. And when I read my, the reviews every week that come in from clients, like, you know, our wedding's been a month and people are still texting and calling and reaching out to us to tell us just how friendly everybody was. And, you know, I don't know if you heard the story, but my, you know, aunt spilled something and this sweet young girl went and got her a club soda and a towel. Like, that's not something we necessarily have trained people on. It's just finding people and it's like, just watch what everybody else, just have your eyes open. Um, and and you can't do it if you're hungry. You know, like you always hear the stats, like kids in school, like you know, where they struggle because they're on them with a hungry stomach. Like we come in, so they come in, they work a shift for an hour, you know, a wedding shifts like eight hours. They come in, they set up, they do the work the first hour and a half. And that's like, hey, family meal. We have our meeting, everybody sits down, we have a meal together, talk about, you know, the event. Same with our kitchen crew. I mean, some days they're like, hey, we want to get out of here. I'm like, well, we still got to eat. Like, you know, so we, we rotate that. And I'd be like, hey, let's, you know, like we just, a couple of new guys started a few weeks ago. Like, oh man, this is great. We're getting some new meals now. Like, you know, we're kind of getting that rod of like, uh, Caesar salad again. It's Thursday, uh, mac and cheese. It's Friday. You know, it's like, oh, eating me spring rolls this week or rice noodles or, you know, like bring, bring some different cuisine. And we, we rotate that. But it, and it might only be that 15 or 20 minutes that you sit down, but it's, it's a good meal. And, I always say like with the weekend events with these high school and college kids, like high school kid needs money. You have a high school boy like here, eat until you're, you know, here, go ahead, eat six tacos. Let me see if you can do it. That's what they love. That you, you just found an employee for life. They'll, they'll come back until they, they start a career somewhere. That is, that is the truth. And even like, even like the Delco area, like I grew up in Delco and even like the Philadelphia area, right? Like my grandmother's an Italian chef and always like the way that our family's been run is through Italian food, sitting down with home cooked meals. It's like been the way to my heart and I'm sure the heart of many other people from Delco in Philadelphia. It's like, you, you want me to like, you just feed me and I love you. I'll never leave when, you. When I was like 13, one of my, one of the guys, one of my good friends lives on our street. His brother was working for Coco's Pizza. They just started, they just opened one in Upper Darby. And he said, you know, hey, Mike wants you guys, he needs me to get a couple guys and go put flyers in mailboxes. Will you guys do it? I, I can't pay you, but I'll make you whatever you want afterwards. We did that for like a week straight. He was dropping us off in Upper Darby all over like Garrett Hill, Jerksville. Here you go, go drop these off. And then we go back and he's like, all right, I got a pizza in for you. What else you want? A stromboli? All right, you want, else you want a hoagie? You want... That's, we didn't care. 13? Yeah, what are you going to give me? Three bucks an hour? I don't want that. I want to eat. Like when you're, especially at that age, you're the 13, 14, 15, and you're growing, you're constantly hungry and you're never full. And, you know, I can see that's one of the things with my son. He walks in here and it's like, and he, he's a picky eater at times, 
he comes in and it's like, oh, oh, we're having dessert first. Yeah, great. Oh, now I can eat tacos, you know, for a kid. It's the way to their heart. And, and especially when you grow up like that, where it's like, manja, manja, gotta eat, gotta eat. You know, it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good way to, to get people. It really is. It really is. And also like we kind of hit it on the lead by example thing. I always kind of refer it back to Philly sports and, you know, guys like Kelsey, who's kind of in the trenches all day and he's the probably the leader of that Eagles team, or even a guy growing up like Chase Utley, who was just not really the loudest guy in the field, but he's a lead by example guy where, you know, he'll be that guy when he comes up in the ninth inning and they need a run, he'll be that guy to knock in that winning run. So it's cool to hear that you're still kind of a part of that um, being in the trenches. I saw you shooting some videos on Instagram too, and I'll link all those stuff in the bio too. Where people can go check that out for sure. But it's definitely cool to see the kind of the culture you built um, over the years in your company. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I learned and I figured out, you know, we're, we're like I said, there was that badge of honor. Like you got to put these hours in, but it's like, the reality is if, if people are around, if I'm not constantly having to train people, you, 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 you nobody, I don't think any, and this is a lot of small business owners and, and trust me, it took me forever to figure this out, but a lot of small business owners don't, they don't quantify how much it really costs every time you bring on a new employee, even something as simple as a server. You know, we, we figured it out with our servers that, you know, it's cost me somewhere between probably like 400 and $500 to bring a new server on between the time spent, you know, answering the emails that they're inquiring, Hey, I'm looking for a job and that back and forth, you know, nobody or everybody always just says, well, you're already paying somebody that, but, but something has to make up. If I'm paying a stamping manager X amount a, a year, they're being paid to do that. So they're responding to these inquiries. And now they're setting up an interview and they're spending an hour on an interview. And now they've said, okay, great. We're going to make offer you a position. So now I need to get the time where we can do our paperwork. We've gotten very, very smart. COVID, COVID's made our business very, very um, efficient because now we do all our interviews on Zoom, which is great because- you get a different personality. We see right there when we're doing an interview on Zoom, they come in, everybody's like, well, prim and proper. You're interviewing somebody and they're in their bedroom and like, are they looking at me or are they wandering? Is their friend sitting across the room? Like, you know, they're just trying to get through the, the paces, but you're seeing because, and that's what's really important to us because we don't see 99% of what our employees do on a, on a shift. You know, like you're at a wedding and you don't see the, the server that's off, you know, clearing in a room and somebody says, hey, I got a question. Where's the bathroom? Or what's this place all about? Or do you know where, how do I get back to the parking lot? And I want to see like in that interview, like how do they react with a stranger in front of them and, and like being off guard, you know, they, they're getting comfortable and now we're asking them an off guard question. You know, so now we've offered them a job. We're doing their paperwork. Now our paperwork's digital. We're buying them their, their first uniform shirt. And then their, their first shift, shift and a half are really useless. Like you're paying them, but they're, they're learning. So you're paying them, say, 150, you know, we, we start all of our servers at $15 an hour. So you're paying them $150. You put in the taxes and all that. It's cost you $180 for their first shift. For them to walk around behind somebody else and just nod their head and smile and, okay, I'll, you told me to pick this up, I'll pick it up. So it costs a lot for that. I don't want to spend that money constantly and then have them gone in two weeks. So let's find a way to keep them. 
So we, we have like Strock swag is our big thing. I was talking about it this morning with a couple of the caterers. We had a call and we were talking about like incentive programs for keeping employees. So we basically every hour you work, you get a Strock buck. And then a couple of times a year, we say, all right, it's time to cash in your Strock bucks. You look at your check and it says, you know, your year to date hours are say 600 hours. All right, you got 600 Strock bucks. Winter's coming. We're offering a winter coat for 300 Strock bucks. You can get a hat for 100 Strock bucks. At Necker, you know, we, we just have some different fun things and, but it's it builds this pride too. Like they're they're excited like to put on this stuff, and it's like it's pretty cool. Like these people want to wear my name on their on them. Like not because I'm making them, they have that option. You know, they they can just pick like you know a backpack or something. It's not branded, but they want to they want this. They want to take pride in where they work. You know, and it's our job to make it to keep making it a place you want to work at. That's that's a really cool idea with the Ciroc bucks. That's uh. It's very creative. How'd you come up with that? Did you kind of just brainstorming or did you have like a group that kind of helped? I'll be fully transparent. We, uh, we, uh, a friend, a caterer, I've become very friendly with out in Colorado and they actually do culture training and that's where we've gotten a lot of ideas called that. It's called MIB, make it better every day. Um, it's footers catering in Denver. And I've spent a lot of time talking with these guys the last couple of years and we spent time at conferences together and, and they, they have a whole culture training program and, when we were kind of going through this, like, hey, we got to start retaining employees, they were launching this program. So we kind of worked with them as like a, a pilot, like, yeah, let's, we'll try out your thing and see. And we kind of picked and choose what we liked about it. But the one thing they've always done was they call them Jimmy Box, um, where they do swag and it's same concept, like employees, you know, for us, what, what, what originally happened was one winner it gets, you know, you're back and forth, you're in the hot kitchen and then you're in the walk-in and then you're taking the trash out and it's cold. And then maybe you're on an event and you're cooking outside and the chefs are always like, you know, it's freezing. Like once November hit, they're freezing. So we bought all our chefs hoodies that were thin enough to insulate them. They could wear it under a chef coat if they were on an event and kept them warm. Next thing you know, the server's like, well, how do I get a hoodie? And bartender's like, how do I get a hoodie? And then the bartenders are working outside in an event and you know, it's, it's like, you know, cocktail hour, they're in the sun and then the sun goes down and they're stuck outside and it's like 55 degrees and they're in like a thin dress shirt. So we'd gotten a couple of jackets with our logo and gave it to them. But then it was like, we were never getting the jackets back. So I'm like, all right, hold on. Like, I can't just keep printing stuff and hand it to people. So let's, let's kind of do a double edge. Like, Hey, here's a way they can pick what they want, but it's also a functional, like, Hey, bartenders, you don't have to choose this jacket. However, if you want to put a jacket on, you're going to have to wear one with our logo. So you, you can pick that or get like three hats. I'd pick the jacket if I were you. So they're, they're using it. They're getting their own, you know, it's, it's an enhancement to their uniform. It's making them comfortable, but you see them wearing it everywhere. You know, that's what blows my mind. Like when I'll be out, I'll see employees wearing socks up on their day off. It's not like they were working. You know, it's, it's a pretty cool thing when you, when you run into that, you know, you walk through downtown Westchester and, you know, you see, you see, you know, we've had different T, everybody gets a t-shirt when they start and we've had different ones with different quotes on the back and stuff. You know, and you're walking down the street, my kids are like, dad, I think that person works for you. And it's like, oh, I don't know them. And then it's like, oh yeah, wait, no, oh no, it's somebody's boyfriend or girlfriend. They gave him the shirt or whatever. So, um, but it is, it's a cool thing, but yeah, we, you know, just little things like that. You know, we try and do meetings, you know, and schedule hours. Like last year, we just, you know, did a kickball, kickball game, like, Wednesday afternoon team meeting. We're going to West Goshen Park and we're going to have a kickball game. And, you know, just, and and kind of mix everybody. 
you know, we did a cornhole tournament one year, like begin to kick off the season, did a barbecue and cornhole tournament and just because, you know, when we do those type of events, it's like, you know, we do a Christmas party and they can have a couple of drinks. But like for those events, it's like a dry event so that it's as encouraging for the 16 year olds as it is for the 60 year olds and everybody in between and, and brings everybody together. And when we do that, like we do the cornhole, we do that. We pick the teams. We we said we picked them out of the hat. We purposely were like, okay, these two are such opposite personalities. We have to put these two together. These two, I heard there's a little bit of like bad blood between these two. They're now going to be teammates. So we've now, you know, come in as the mediator and, and, and fix some relationship. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, what do you mean you guys are going out together this weekend? You're going to get dinner or whatever. Like all of a sudden you're friends, you know, you hated each other a week ago. So, um, and I think it is a great environment. I mean, this, this is probably one of the coolest things that I've seen come out of this. Friday night, I was out, all my childhood friends from Delco, we went down to Phillies game. And one of the, you know, out of the 11 couples, I think five of them have had their teenagers work for me at different times. And one couple leaned over and I, they said, oh yeah, our daughter's the prom tonight. I said, oh, Rustin is proms tonight. And she, their daughter goes to Ridley like, oh yeah, she's going with her boyfriend. She met him working for you, he goes to Rustin and they've been dating for like six months. They like met on a shift. I'm like, yeah, be kidding me. <laughs> like, it's like, that's awesome. You know, it's such a cool thing. And, uh, you know, these kids come in and they just, you see it now. We had another, another group of teenagers met next thing you know, like, oh, I'm going to such and such university. So I'm like, oh, let's be roommates. You know, from two completely different areas. Um, but we try and do that. You know, we, we find people that are just good people and you feel comfortable with the people you're Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's almost bigger than just a job, right? It's a culture and you get to kind of intermingle with people that kind of have the same passion for you. Um, one, making money two, providing great service. So that's kind of it, but cool. Um, John, I always like to wrap these up with asking this kind of basic question is, um, in your own words, can you describe the Westchester slash Exton business life? Um, I know you've been to a couple, uh, chamber events and networking events like that. So in your own words, just describe like the business community as a whole in like Westchester. I think loyal is a capital L-O-Y-A-L. I mean, it really, so in, 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 a, in a, as quick as I can make it, you know, I started in Delaware County in, in 2000. I, I launched a business in 2005-ish. I decided I wanted to move out to move the business out to Chester County. I was just finding myself out here more and more. I opened up a storefront in 2006 in Malvern, failed miserably, like like to the, almost on the point of bankruptcy, like in 2009 and 10. And my lease was up in like 2011, and I and and in that time I become uh, friendly, pretty friendly with Chuck Swope from Swope Lease Real Estate. And I reached out to him and I said, I, I need to find a new spot to go in, you know, in Malvern. And we probably over a six month period looked at every single commercial property that was available or coming available for rent in, in the like 19355 zip code. We looked at every single one of them. And he kept saying, why are you so dead set on Malvern? I said, because I spent my whole life growing up in Delco. Like when I opened in Delco, it was a very instant, like everybody knew me because they, you know, they either went to school with me or my brothers or knew me from bar I worked at or restaurant I worked at or for sport. Like they knew everybody. Like I had this already built in name and I felt like I just spent five years building a name in Malvern 
And I was like, I don't want to leave this area. And he's like, Westchester's like 10 minutes away. It's not that far. People, I'm like, you know, I growing up in Delco where it's so territorial, what parish are you from? You know, it's I'm not from Drexel Hill. No, I'm from St. Dots. Like, I'm not, I'm not from the, the St. Charles side of Drexel Hill. I'm from St. Dots. This is where I'm from. So I had that mindset that like Westchester people didn't, you know, Malvern was like another world. And we eventually kind of looked and, and found this spot where I am in Westchester. Chuck talked me into it. Had you know, he said, I got somebody for you to meet, brought me out, met the guy, said, Hey, I want you to also meet, and you know, I think you should buy us. I'm in no place. There's no chance I can buy this. You know, I, I was two years ago on the verge of bankruptcy. He's like, You might be surprised. Here, I'm going to introduce you to the SBA based, you know, with the small bit out in Chester County. I'm going to Chester County Economic Council. I want you to meet some guys from there. Oh, I want you to meet so and so from downtown National Bank. They're looking to finance growing small businesses. I want you to meet this guy. Next thing you know, I went from like thinking I could barely find anything to buying my own, like I own the building I'm in. I never thought that was going to be a possibility. And instantly the door was like this revolving door of, Hey, I'm so-and-so with the chamber. You know, are you interested in joining? Here's what we can do for you. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do this event. Next thing you know, like, Hey, I met you at the chamber event the other night. Can you do my daughter's wedding? Can you do this lunch and everything? Hey, we're, we're, we're raising money to build this theater in Westchester called Uptown. We'd like you to be involved and, and cater an event. And, and it's like this, those spokes, it's crazy. And, you know, I did that in the beginning. It was like, we built the name up. And then I realized like, this just keeps going and going. Like every event I walk into, there, there's a handful. Oh, I know them from, from this event. I know them from this chamber. Oh, I know them from the business association. Everybody though is so passionate about their area and supporting the area. Like, you know, I think they say Chester County is the wealthiest county in the state. Like financially, yes, but I, just the support. Like I've never seen a community rally around each other, help each other. The, the business community is unbelievable. It, it really is. And and COVID really just, we were on our knees, it, it, you know, like everybody. And we started launching these these meals to, um, you know, we, we called it Share a Meal. Um, and and it, it was born out of my daughter. We were sitting there like, you know, maybe a week into COVID. And she's like, you know, what about the kids that, you know, we were eating dinner and there was like leftovers and shit, but you know, what's going on with the kids that aren't in school right now and aren't getting lunch? And I'm like, what do you mean? And she's like, I, I know like some of my friends like get free lunch. Like this was at a young age. She knew this, like knew enough to be able to figure out. She, she, I, I don't know how she figured it out, but she figured it out. And I said, you know what? You're right. And I reached right out to the principal and I said, what can we do? You know, and, and like this guy didn't have enough on his plate, like trying to figure out how they were in a virtual school. And I'm like, Hey, I get this great idea. I want to donate food to people. And he's like, yeah, he's to kind of bump my pay grade. Let me, let me see what we can figure out. But we did this, we launched this program. And like the minute it hit, you know, we put it out there. My mom calls me. She's like, you know, this thing's been shared like hundreds of times. And I start going and it's like every community organization jumped on and other, and the chambers were jumping on and the churches and like, Everybody, like, you know, I started this through Starkweather Home and School. And next thing you know, I've got every home and school association sharing this and like, you know, let's help out this other community member. And, and it really wasn't about trying to help me, but it did because it gave me, it gave us a purpose. Like it, it was able to keep an eye on our employees and able to, the, the big thing was we were able to feed people. And like when 
when people would pull up here and get these meals and you could just see like people would come up in tears, like, thank you. Thank you. You know, I, you know, having it was like, take, take two meals here, take, take extra. Like, you know, they, they would come up carloads with like four or five moms in here where there was like one neighbor had a car and would drive them all up. And I was like, you know, this community, like you could just see, and people were doing it. People would order meals and say, we're not going to pick it up, just donate it. And it just, it re, it really just showed you the faith, like humanity, like they're really, that's what was probably the toughest thing the last year. Cause I feel like people are starting to go back to be nasty a little bit, but <laughs> you know, people were, it was like as, as devastating as good it was, it was a good time. You really saw the best in people. You really did. Um, and we saw it here. Like people were just, you know, I think of Gattaletto's and John over at Avalon and all these guys that I've become, you know, I knew of, but through COVID, because we we're all going through it, like we, we built this community in the hospitality of like talking to people you never really you communicated for. It's like, oh, you're doing this? Yeah, I can, you need me to order something for you for your, you're, you're doing a meal for the food bank or you're doing this like, and people support. And it really is. It's, it's a, it's a great community to, to live and, and to, you know, run your business. And it really is. And I'm, I'm thrilled that we ended up here. That's a, uh, that's a beautiful story about donating food. I mean, that's, that's, that's awesome. I actually have chills right now. Just listening to you talk about that and like just helping families out when they really need it the most. But yeah. John, I, uh, I appreciate your time today. And uh, I just wanted to give you kind of the floor to shout out your website, your Facebook, your Instagram, where people can get in contact with you um, if they need some catering services. Sure. It's a very simple Ciroc, S-E-R-O-C-K, catering.com. Ciroccatering.com, Ciroccatering on Instagram, Ciroccatering on Facebook. I think they're working on a TikTok. I'm not a, it's, that's kind of above my pay read. That's not where I'm good at. So, um, but yeah, Ciroc Cater, you know, we are, we are primarily a wedding cater, but we do, you know, large, large scale galas and life celebration events, um, you know, based on availability. So check us out. Um, our Instagram is pretty cool because you can kind of see, you know, we, we try and get as much footage at events. So it's, uh, it's kind of fun. Absolutely. I just have to warn uh, anyone who's listening. I just have to warn anyone who's listening. Um, if you do check out their Instagram, be well aware that you will be starving after it because the food yeah. looks incredible. So, yeah, that's the point. Eat with your eyes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, John. I appreciate appreciate the time for you, and I'm sure I'll see you at uh, networking events uh, down the road. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.